Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you do me a huge favor, go and subscribe on whatever platform it is that you listen on and leave a review if you can. Tell me who your favorite episode has been so far and let me know anybody else that you'd want to hear. It means a lot and it's the best way to support the show. Also, share it with some friends. Let them know uh, if there's an episode you think they might like. There's a lot of them. This is episode 63. So uh, yeah, appreciate it a ton. My guest today is uh, a really cool guy with a background that quite honestly has me YouTubing uh, professional water ski jumping uh, because that's where he got his start and that's where this story really begins. Uh, I came across this guy though, uh, just on Instagram. He had put a post up where he was holding a sideways piece of notebook paper with some black Sharpie on it. And it had a question posed around love. And it was like, do you understand what is love or something to that effect? And when I looked, he had hundreds of these videos with different questions and and thoughts and ideas written down on these pieces of paper. And I reached out because he also had a book that he recently released called The Right Fight. And uh, to my delight, he was willing to come on the podcast and have a conversation with me. But It was through my research of his background and where this message of love and positivity comes from that I realized he was a professional water ski jumper. And so we spent the first half of the podcast really just kind of talking about the sport of professional water ski jumping. Uh, And it was a great transition into his message because it was through the sport of water ski jumping that he realized that he had a fear of failure and embracing love and finding God was something that really helped change his life uh, in a completely holistic way. And so uh, I really appreciate him coming on the show and having a conversation, sharing his perspective. I hope you enjoy it a lot. It's a good change of pace. And uh, I learned a lot about myself, quite honestly, and uh, I hope you do as well. Give it up for my guest, Kenny Vaughn. But before we enjoy the episode, a huge shout out to this sponsor of our podcast, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. I've said it a bunch. If you haven't gone to drinkaction.com, and that's action with a K, grab yourself your favorite specialty roast coffee. Look, if you're a coffee drinker and you still haven't tried Action Specialty Roast Coffee and you're a listener of this podcast, shame on you. Use code word curious. You'll get 15% off. If you sign up for a subscription, you'll get 20% off and you'll get fresh coffee and natural supplements of your choice delivered direct to your doorstep at whatever interval you'd like. Coffee that comes in whole bean all the way to a K-cup, if you like light roast all the way to a dark roast. And natural supplements, things like turmeric and hemp, which are great for anti-inflammation. I'm using it currently for a knee injury that's helping me recover from, and it's been a godsend. I take a double dose every single night And it certainly helps with just overall health and well-being. Make sure that you go to drinkaction.com. Stay tuned for all the new things that are going to be popping up. Go to the social media at drinkaction and make sure that you enjoy this episode. No, I just wanted to kind of finish that thought. So you you guys did all that yourself, all the 
all the finishing and kind of put the old back into the new. Yeah, man, the place was, uh, I mean, as bad as you've ever seen anything, really. And, um, it, I mean, uh, the the homeless people that had lived here had kind of used the floors for the restroom. Um, you know, it's like every great opportunity I've ever found. It's, um, you know, when you walk up on it, it looks like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and, uh, but if you dig a little deeper, then you you start realizing that, you know, the walls are in good shape. So we, we the, structurally, it was in pretty good shape and they were giving it away. It looked so bad. And, uh, and so we really, we took it apart and we, the old, the house was sold, the roof deck was shiplap wood, which is what's on the walls. And um, instead of plywood and uh, it had a real pretty color to it, just like you see it. And uh, so we almost threw it all away, but I just said, man, I'm just going to pull all the boards. I mean, pull all the nails. So we pulled all the boards off individually, saved everything, pulled all the nails, took a while, cleaned them up and hung them on the walls. And they really, they came out better than we expected. The whole place did really. Yeah, so. that's, it's absolutely beautiful. And I, I can't ima <laughs> I imagine like sitting in a room like that with the labor of love that goes into something. Yeah. Probably right. pretty, uh, pretty satisfying as well. Yeah. There's something special about that. It really is. Yeah. Well, man, Kenny, I, I appreciate the time tonight. As I was saying, uh, well, you uh, you came up on me quick. I hadn't ever really heard of who you were before. And uh, I was just perusing through social media as I probably do way too much. And uh, I saw this guy holding a piece of paper and uh, <laughs> there was a message on it. And it, it escapes me at the moment exactly what it was. But I was it caught my attention. I'm like, huh, I got to check this out. And uh, I found myself for like 10 minutes just one after another, looking at what you had written and uh, just listening to a message that was really honest and powerful. And I could tell must have come from somewhere. And uh, I reached out and I, I think I even asked you that. I was like, hey, man, I'm sure this message is coming from a place. And my silly ass didn't uh, look, pardon my French, but I didn't look right. enough on the research. And it, it did come from a pretty uh, extraordinary place. And so as I looked more into your background, I was very excited to have this conversation. So, you know, for those who don't know, uh, you are a professional water ski jumper, which that's like every 12 year old kid who goes tubing on a lake or water skiing on a lake's dream, probably. And uh, I want to start there. But, you know, I, I think for those who also don't know, you've founded a company that's really made a humongous impact and it's kind of tied to your story of of the water skiing and it's about overcoming fear it's it's tied to your roots in you know your religious beliefs and i think it's obviously a huge part of your message too and so i i definitely want to make sure we hit on all of that because it's really what caught my attention to begin with but um if you wouldn't mind how the heck does somebody get into professional water ski jumping so my, my dad was a show skier and uh, on the Nature's River. We live in Beaumont, Texas, near the Gulf Coast. And uh, he, I mean, he, he, he flew kites, he, um, he jumped boats, he jumped skis, you know, and they had a, a small group of guys with a club on the river and they traveled and did ski shows. So that, I'd say that, that, that was the foundation of how I would come across it. But I was, I think I was 12 and I hadn't skied. I knew about my dad skiing. My uncle was, um, he had a lake house up north of here and there for the 4th of July of all things is coming up real shortly here. They were going to go up there and dad said, Hey, we're going, we're going to go spend the weekend up there. Y'all want to run to the river, learn how to ski. And of course, heck yeah, we want to do that. And, um, and so 
dad, we didn't even have skis. Dad actually took a sheet of plywood, cut a circle out of it. We had a 15 horsepower Emerald motor on a uh, 12 foot flat bottom boat, you know, and uh, we just all piled on that flat sheet of wood and he pulled us up and down the river. But, um, you know, the more, we loved it so much. He went and bought us a pair of skis and we took the ski. I, I didn't take skiing immediately. Um, I, uh, I love to fish. So I'm always fishing and skiing seemed, you know, it seemed like it was all right, but I'd rather be fishing. And I tried and it was a little hard. I threw in the towel. Then my sister uh, gave it a shot and I looked up, she was skiing down the river and I was like, oh, hang on, you know, bring the boat back. And uh, so, so I gave it another shot and I got up on skis. We did that probably two weeks leading up to going to the lake. And, um, and, but where we where we were learning to ski was around the corner from dad's old uh, ski club. And uh, that was in the fifties when he was doing that. And they still had a club there and they still had a ramp in the water. And he showed me that and he's like, you want to try to go over? And I was like, heck yeah, I want to try to go over. So he took my skis and modified them, made some homemade wooden fins for the back. A, a jump ski has a fin on it, but it's a shallow fin and it's flat and wide. So, you know, not so it doesn't cut the ramp and doesn't roll over. And um, one evening late, right before dark, he, you know, he told me I had to be able to jump from one wake to the other before he'd take me over that ramp. And then I got that done. And then one evening late, right before dark, he brought me over there and he just kept bringing me over and over and said, one more time, dad, one more time, one more time. It was probably 15 tries. Huh? And I wrote out the last one. And uh, so I was probably, I guess, 12 maybe. Um, so that was the very beginning of it. That's where it got started. And, and then after that, we finally got rid of the flat bottom boat and got a ski boat and got in the club and started taking off. Yeah. It was funny because I was thinking about this trip. I just recently took to Lake Havasu. Uh, my brother had a, a bachelor party. And so a, a bunch of us went down there and we rented a boat and some jet skis and we were tubing and they were just torquing around corners and whipping me out. And the, the force that you have and just kind of the acceleration that you'd get going around the corners. I was telling people, I'm like, you don't understand. Like that boat was going like 35, 40 miles an hour, but I felt like I was going 60 or 70 across that water. And, uh, I was watching people do these long ski jumps and it looked like that was what they were doing. They were like, there was a lot of timing and precision where you were kind of bellying out parallel with the boat and then getting, whipped at the last second and almost kind of coming in diagonally at that ramp, which, I mean, if you're off by just a little bit, you're either missing it short and hitting that and, or miss it, you know, missing it. wide. I mean, can you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a ski jumper, so I'm biased, right. But I've, I've I love sports period. And I've, not many of them I haven't participated in. The ski jumping is one of the hardest sports I've ever participated in not not just the jumping part but the uh but what you're talking about the timing and everything that's involved so both going to constant 35 miles an hour on a good jump you're probably you know you're pushing 70 miles an hour you're going to rise about three stories you're going to go maybe three quarters of the length of a football field the longest jump wins if you ski away you get three jumps in a competition um but the hardest part about it is the ramp believe it or not is a lot faster than the water and you lose the effect of your fins so you know in the when you have, when you're in the water, you got a fin that's in the water that's giving you stability on your ski. But when you hit the ramp, that fin rises up on top of the ramp, and it and because it's so slick, I, best thing I know to compare it to, like if you were to jump maybe five foot off of something down onto a slimy rock at the edge of the water, how slick that is. The ramp's fast like that, and so and so you're generating all this pull from your upper body, and you gotta so you gotta be in the right position when you hit that ramp. And like you said, if you get there too late, you're gonna hit the edge of the ramp. 
which we try not to ever do, which means you got to let go and let that, you got to let go of the rope and pass on that jump. You know, sometimes you're cutting it close and uh, you hang on, you don't quite get on. Or, or if you're too early, it's just not going to be a long jump because you got to let up to get on. So it's pretty wild and, and crazy stuff, but, um, you know, it, it, it's fun. It's dangerous, but um, I got I to gotta kick out of it. Yeah, man, it seems like if you're into adrenaline type things, that's like one of the best. And it doesn't initially come to mind. You know what I mean? Like if anybody asked me, but as I started to look at that, I'm like, this is extremely dangerous. And the athleticism that you probably have to have to be able to control your body to go from water to that slick ramp and, you know, control not getting like yanked over or pulled over because of that change. I mean, were, were you doing any type of like professional fitness routines to keep yourself? Yeah, almost all the guys, you know, you got, you need to be physically fit, but I got to take, I mean, it, it didn't matter. And I worked on strength training a lot and, uh, and strength was one of my strengths in the sport, but um, you don't have enough muscle to, to account for mistakes in that because just because of the force when you hit the ramp, all those things. So really pulling off a great jump, is not about strength. It's about getting in the right position before you hit the ramp. No one has enough strength to hit the ramp in the wrong position and still pull off a good ramp, a good jump. I mean, the ramp's going to crush you if you hit it in the wrong position. So, um, so strength helps and it helped. The biggest thing it helps with is getting you out of trouble. So if you come off the ramp and you're, and, and you are in a bad position, if you have extra strength and your skis are behind you in the air or they get, or they're coming around behind you or something's going wrong, if you have the strength, sometimes you can muscle it back around just to save a bad jump from being a worse jump, but really good jumpers and really good jumps are mostly about technique and, uh, and really mastering the fundamentals, getting all the little things right before you hit the ramp, you know, a lot like life, you know, I mean, if you, you gotta, you gotta do all the hard work, the slow work, the painful stuff that seem like it's making no difference over and over relentlessly until you get that down pat um and then when you hit the ramp things can come together and, and really as a ski jumper because i grew up skiing on the river behind a little boat i learned i mean i was a, a weekend warrior to a guy who's trying to compete with great skiers and i never really had a great i mean i had great people coaching me but did, didn't really know the sport extremely well so it's kind of homemade and uh and and i had didn't have great fundamentals and, and so I about got myself killed trying to, uh, trying to chase a dream and win a national championship, man, because I wasn't afraid of getting hurt. You know, I mean, I didn't want to get hurt. I, I, may, may I should say I was afraid of getting hurt, but I wasn't afraid, as afraid of getting hurt as I was of not winning. So, you know, I was just Katie bar the door wide open, all I had, you know, and, uh, and, and with bad fundamentals, you know, the harder you fight, if you're doing it the wrong way, the worse it gets. And so I got hurt a lot. I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I had a, all kinds of, of a rough go until I finally reached a, a coach that U.S. team coach is, is what it was. And I got to spend some time with that really humbled me, made me start over, get my fundamentals right. That was painstaking. It was slow. It was humbling. But it was the only option I had. Either that or keep doing it like I was and keep getting what I was getting. And that really changed everything in my life, not just made me a better ski jumper that led to my dream coming true, but everything else you're talking about. Really, I would say my, I have one message 
and everything I do and everything I do on Instagram and everywhere else. Um, and I'm just trying to say it a thousand different ways. So I got one message I've been working on for 20 years. And that is if you get the fundamental, if you master the fundamentals, everything else is going to take care of itself. And the world skips over the fundamentals and they want, and, the, and they have all these great ideas and all these techniques and all these, these solutions to solve the problems you have, but the real solutions aren't in trying to work with the problem. They're going below the problem, digging deeper and attacking what is, what is the problem arising from? So, so yeah, ski jump, I think what ski jumping did for me is it, it just forced me to really analyze and dig deeper and deeper and deeper because the ramp doesn't care, man. I'm just telling you, it doesn't, it, there is no solution for hitting the ramp in the wrong position. I've tried them all. You've got to find a way to get everything right before you get there. Then you can pull one off. And so it forces you to do a lot of thinking. It's humbling. It'll humble you in a heartbeat. And, um, and so that's, everything comes out of that for what me. Kind of what kind of training do you do to improve your, your skills on that? Is there like a regimen that you would go out and say, okay, I'm going to go practice today. Or is it just repeatedly doing it and getting comfortable doing it and getting the feel of doing it? So off season training for us is normally plyometrics or explosiveness, you know, so you're trying to, cause when you hit the ramp, the, I mean, the biggest component where strength is really re, can be required, even if you're in the right body position, is when you hit the ramp, you want to get lift off the ramp. So you, two things. One, you don't want to crush into the ramp. So you're giving up your distance in by, by being crushed by the ramp. So you're going to lose lift off the ramp. But ideally, it, not only do you not want to crush into it, you want to be able to kick the ramp. And But it's a split second, and it's like it's, it's almost intuitive once you get once you train yourself to do it. You can't even think about it. It just happens. But it does. it is a, a fast action. So plyometrics is, is a Bit, one of the bigger things I did with off-season training, but the majority of uh, ski jumpers training, I would say, is is on the water um, and jumping. So, so as a as a uh, homegrown rookie athlete, the way I trained was I just jumped all the time. Okay, so I mean, I there was no to me skiing would be like hitting off a tee if I was a baseball player. All right, why would I do that? That was my thinking. Okay, follow me on this. So, it, so growing up, once I learned how to do the little stuff, I rushed past it because I wanted to jump further. And I had ways I could jump further right now. What I didn't realize I was rushing past was mastering these fundamentals. So I skipped over all of that. So I just jumped all the time, all the time, all the time. What I learned from a great coach was that I needed to jump a whole lot less and I needed to ski a whole lot more. So, um, so really what, training is riding your skis and if, if, if you're a baseball player it's hitting off a tee mm -hmm. and um and, and mastering you know how do you hold the bat how, how are you standing where are your feet where are your eyes where are your shoulders where's everything in your body when all the things that lead up to that we tend to skip over so so i train most mo most i would say to answer your question water time that's the main thing. You need to be you spend enough time on the water. Your, your skis become your feet. For me, it was seven days a week, but um, and a lot of skiers it is. But um, but making sure you're training the right things and not just trying to go further. Yeah. Uh, so are you you're familiar with jujitsu, right? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I'm not, I'm very early into my journey, but I've, I've followed it for a while and I've had some injuries that have kind of delayed my processor, but that's something that I really appreciate about it is it's a, you have to master those fundamentals and the belt system, at least as long as you're at a good school, um, it kind of forces you to have to learn those things and start to compound all the things on top of each other. Right. And it's, it, right. I think to your point, um, being able to build that strong foundation leads you to, to be able to step a little bit further uh, when you're trying to achieve those goals that are super high, which, you know, I want to get to, right? Like, so it goes from a hobby, your dad takes you out, gets you interested into it. Passion grows. Is there like a professional circuit? How do you get to a point where you're competing at the national championship level? Uh, well, there's qualifications through state and regional meets. And, uh, and then, yeah, there is, there is a pro tour and, um, and, but you're really, it's, you, you start out skiing in age divisions and then, um, and then your ultimate goal is to qualify to ski open. And then once you qualify to ski open, then you, then you can get invited to tournaments, that kind of stuff. But, um, so, I mean, that's how the sport works. Martial arts, by the way, is, is one of the, I mean, good, really good, solid martial arts schools really get to have their ass together okay so because like you're talking about there they don't you don't come in there with everybody trying to teach you how to go kick everyone's rear end all right they come in there and teach you how to humble yourself self-control and really master the fundamentals and, and and if you do that and you stick with it over time you do become a force to be reckoned with um, but a lot of sports are more about, at least it was for me in ski jumping, and, and I see it a lot, is, is we get pretty good, and then we want all the new stuff we want to look like we're getting it done. Why? Because it's embarrassing to hit off a tee with everybody watching. But that's where, that's where we get crossed up and we get messed up. So for me, that's what happened to me. And, um, and I could win tournaments and I could ski pretty well, but I was always getting hurt, spending, you know, I had two months stay in the hospital one time. And, and, uh, and so skipping over the basics really cost me dearly. And then training with some great coaches helped make a big difference in that. And, you know, I'd love for you to elaborate a little, you know, I hear all this, right. And people heard me maybe say early on about the fear, conquering fear. Right. And so, I think initially people would think that fear would be the fear of injury, the fear of just participating in a dangerous sport. But I know you said it's not, and I, I already, you know, I understand kind of where this is going to go, but um, the fear of failure, I can somewhat relate to that. Um, but where does that come from for you? Do you, do you have an idea and, and can you maybe talk about what that meant to you and how it manifested in the sport of water skiing okay so i would say that the fear of failure is always rooted almost always rooted in me so i played to win okay so for me there's no second play and i think the world is this way it's all or nothing there is no second place you know and, and so i played to win and i'm gonna tell you that you gotta think about this or, or keep listening, okay? Because I think well, I, sometimes I'm afraid to say this. I'm like, everybody's going to tune me out. But I'm just going to tell you, if you play to win, you're going to be led by fear. And that you have a higher calling. 
and your higher calling is not to win. Winning is a fruit, by the way. You have no control over whether or not you win. You can do everything. Well, I can't tell you how many athletes I knew that did everything right, never won a nationals. I mean, they were more qualified. They were more everything. But, you know, there's just this moment in time and something went wrong. They, maybe they didn't even do anything wrong. It might have been the weather. It's just, you just don't control whether or not you win. And if you think you do and you pretend you do, then fear is going to rule your life because you're going to play to win at all costs. And what you're going to do is you're going to hurt everyone around you in the process of derailing your own dream, most likely. And so because I played to win, what happened to me was it was everything to me. Like, listen, as, as much as winning an Olympic gold medal, winning a Super Bowl, winning any World Series ever meant to any athlete, winning a U.S. national championship meant that to me. I'm talking about I'm training seven days a week, um, you know, relentlessly. It's all I think about. When I go to bed at night, I'm an hour with music in my ears, visualizing. I mean, just as much as anybody, I was, I was obsessed with winning, okay? And so when you want to win that bad, and then you go and you have now the opportunity to win shows up, okay? I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the, at the national championship, this is the moment then you're competing with the weight of the world on your shoulders. And for me, it was like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hardly eat the day before. Um, I struggled to sleep the night before. Um, you know, it's, I, I can remember one season train, I probably took 600 jumps over one summer. I didn't crash one time. I get to the national championship. I get there early. My plan, I got all kinds of plans and I'm gonna get there early. I'm going to train on site because it's different pictures. There's a lot of things going on that mess with your head. So I want to see everything, feel everything. I'm going to get, get there early after one, late one evening. I got a guy and they're going to pull me. Let me train on site the day before I'm going to ski. I took three jumps and I crashed twice because I was so distracted by my desire to win. And so I say it like this. If you play to win, you're going to be ruled by fear, but you have a, a higher calling than that. And that is, the calling to give all you have for God and others, whether you win or not. And you don't control whether or not you win, but you do control what you give. And if you leave it all there, when you walk away, you don't feel empty. I mean, you, you, you I never like losing. I think we all want to win. But it, for me, what was killing me year after year was not only did I not win, I knew I was terrified. And I knew that I really wasn't even capable of winning because I was only capable of a portion of what I had prepared to deliver because I wanted to win so bad. And so I had to learn to give up winning for my dream to come true, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah, it does. Was so it let, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. All right. So I, I just saw, you know, I'll just tell you exactly how that happened. Um, so I'm at the national championships. A guy just jumped 11 feet further than I ever jumped in my life. I get three jumps, right? And, and longest jump wins. This is the best chance I've ever had to win a national championship. I mean, there's only four guys left. I'm seated high in the ranking. I'm pretty sure I can beat the guys that are left. I know the guy that's jumping. If anybody's going to put it out of my reach, it's going to be him. And then he does. And so now I got three jumps. I'm waiting my turn. And and I'm literally just sitting there thinking, I can't believe it. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, it, my dream was right here. 
um, you know, I was feeling good. You know, I'm learning to act on God's word. Everything's changing. And this guy goes out there and jumps 11 feet from I me. Mean, 11 feet is like a mile, you know, in, in our, it's just huge. Like, I can't believe you just did that. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed, you know, I'm like, just, and then they throw me the handle. Now it's my turn to go. And I just said to myself, this is exactly what I said, you know what, never, and I was copying out, okay? This wasn't some great idea or some great plan. I was copying out because I couldn't handle the pressure of winning. And I said, never mind. The first time in my life, I just said, never mind the gold medal, Lord. I just want to do the best I can for you. And the moment I said that, I realized when I thought of Christ on the cross, I, it was a higher calling to give him all I had. And I knew that if I finished for him, win or not, I couldn't fail. So it, now I had a higher calling with no chance of failing. This is not, does not mean I'm going to win. I don't know if I'm going to win or not. We don't know if we're going to win in life. Okay. And so that's why I always talk about, I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. I don't know if you're going to love me back, but it's all of me for you. And I, it was like the, the thousand pound gorilla fell off my back. And so I go out, I get on my first jump and I jump a foot short of this guy. So it's like further than I ever jumped my life by far. So my second jump, I'm knowing all I got to do is get there a hair later and I might get him. <laughs> I mean, I might get this guy. I, mean, I can't believe it. And so I know what to do to do that. And I came in a hair too late, like you're talking about earlier. I should have let go. It's a national championship. It's close. I'm just going to roll the dice. I held on. I didn't get on the ramp. One ski got hung on the edge and, uh, and I crashed. I'd spent two months in the hospital crashing the same way eight years before. Um, I didn't get hurt, but uh, I ripped the fin off the bottom of my ski. I tore the boot that holds my foot to the ski. We get three minutes for, for repairs. There's a force forfeit. I didn't know I tore my boot. I knew I busted that fin off. I'm okay. I tell them I got a spare fin. They rushed me back. Keep an electric D-wall drill, all that stuff, get my new fin on. I pull my skis back on. They're telling me time's up. I realize my boot's busted. And I almost said my boots busted, but I knew if I told them they'd forfeit me and it's my right boot where all my pressure is coming into the ramp. And so, and so, but I just don't say, I just said, okay, I'm ready. So they take off down the lake and I'm running, I'm coming, going down to come back from my last jump. And I'm thinking, you know, I did the best I could, you know, I, I probably got silver medal. Um, and I felt like I overcame my fear. Finally, I'm, I'm functioning with a sound mind. And I see where my girlfriend written, I could do all things to Christ. She strengthens me on my, on my gear. And I remember saying, never mind the gold medal, Lord. I just want to do the best I can for you. And I thought, man, everything I know about the one thing I know most everything about, ski jumping, a busted boot, all these circumstances, there's no way I can win. But I can finish with all that I have for God and others. And so I just said, okay, you know, and I, I, all I can tell anybody is in a time that I'd have been more afraid than I'd ever been in my life. I wasn't. And I was able to use everything I had spent my whole life training to do. And, and, and even like, you know, the times that I would just almost black, not black out literally, but go blank. Uh, you know, you're making your turn. You got about three seconds from your final turn till you hit the ramp. You're going to go from 15 to 70 miles an hour. It's like a blur anyway. But those are the moments you just kind of go into auto mode, especially if you're afraid. If you're afraid, you just let your body do what it does and see what happens. And uh, But coming into that turn to make my turn to the ramp, 
three seconds before I hit the ramp, I'm going 15 seconds, all that stuff. I had the clarity of mind to think if I just slam my right foot into the right front corner of that boot where it wasn't torn, that it might get jammed in there and it wouldn't slip around when I was, as I was accelerating to the ramp. And so I just slammed my foot up in the right and it got tight. And, and man, I jumped 11 feet further than I ever jumped in my life. I beat this guy, my dream comes true. I won a national championship when I would have been most afraid when everything was impossible because I quit playing to win. And I had a higher calling. And so winning is a fruit, all right? So, I mean, I, I work with a lot of coaches, high school coaches. I was walking out to a game with one last year, walking out of the locker room, headed to the field, everybody screaming at him. You know, he's a famous coach in the area. And you're going to win, coach, you're going to win, coach, you're going to win, coach. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, man, we don't know. If, and I'm, he, he's saying, yeah, we're going to win. We're going to win. Listen, guys, we don't know if we're going to win or not. We don't. But I promise you this, we're going to, he's going to leave it all on the field, undistracted. We're, we're going out here, everything we're trained to do. So winning happens in the preparation. And then whenever it matters most, having the ability to function with a sound mind and use everything you've trained to do. And for me, and I've watched it many, many years since, um, that comes with surrender. You know, surrender and stop playing to win. You need a higher calling. Do you think that uh, the fact the guy that did the, well, he was 11 feet further than you had ever jumped before initially, do you feel like the fact that it was that much further was a, a big reason why you were able to just say like, like, okay, at this point, like I, what, what can I do? Man. Cause if it would have been like right on what, you know, you could get, it, right. it may have just made you that much more afraid. Like, Oh man, like I, now if I don't get this, this is easy for me to get, you know what I mean? It's like this guy right. overperforms and it gives you that window to just kind of say, heck, heck. Yeah. So I would say, so yes, I think is the answer to your question. And because it's not till you come to the end of yourself that you surrender and then your potential is unlimited, you know? And so as long as you depend on you, you're, you're never going to be enough. Okay. You can give to, if you play to win, you're going to give all you have and it's never going to be enough. If you win, you're going to have to win again. But for God and others, you're going to give more than you ever knew you had. And winning becomes your destiny. And so, so yeah, you, as long as you're pounding your chest, as long as you're pumping yourself up, as long as you're thinking, I'm going to get it done. Um, fear's going to roll you. I hate to say it, you know, but, but whenever you come to the place where you say, Hey man, it's not about me. It's a lot bigger and it's a lot more important than that. And I surrender. Then with Christ, with God, you truly can do all things. And, and that's what we have. That's where we, that's where fear loses its grip in our life. You know, fear is selfishness. It's rooted in selfishness. It's me, me, me. And its goal is to destroy you. Love is selfless. That's why this gets me in hot water all the time. But, I, I, you know, people talk about self-love all the time. I'm trying to tell them, listen, self-love is the same thing as self-hate. Self -hate, because they are both self-centered. 
You know, if I hate myself, all I'm thinking about is me. If I love myself, all I'm thinking about is me. But love dies to itself. It's no longer about me. It's a much bigger and a higher calling. So your life's not about you. It's a lot bigger and a lot more important than that. It's about God and others. I'm not just athlete, athletics, every single thing you do. And here's the great news. The great news is people, the, peop, the reason that people put themselves first is so they won't find themselves last. But the problem is if you put yourself first, you're going to find yourself last. Put yourself last, you're going to find yourself first. So they're afraid of being taken advantage of. They're afraid of being hurt. They're afraid of loving and not being loved back. They're afraid of getting run over. They're afraid of being embarrassed. They're afraid of all these things. So they put themselves first. But if you put yourself last and you love, love is me doing what's truly best for you. Okay. Without regard for me. If it's truly best for you, it's also best for me. So whatever you're doing that I think fear wants me to protect myself from, love will defend me better than any ideas or boundaries I'll ever come up with will defend me. Love will defend me better than that and before those boundaries are ever needed. So fear's a monster and its goal is to destroy us and it wants us to become selfish and love is selfless and it dies to self. And, and this is why Jesus said, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you're going to find it. Now, those kind of things used to really, I don't understand that at all. But now it makes perfect sense to me. Did you grow up in a religious household? Uh, no. And, uh, and so I would say two things there. One, I don't like religion. And that, I, I know that can come across the wrong way sometimes. But when I say I don't like religion, I mean, it, I mean that like this. I believe that religion is giving to get. So it's keeping a set of rules in order to get what I want. It's kind of like loving you so that you will love me. That's manipulation. That's not pure. Love is pure. So love gives expecting nothing in return. And so I would say that Jesus is a savior. He's not a religion. And that he gave so that he could keep on giving. I mean, salvation is the free gift, right? So, so in, my, in my home, in my household, I mean, my parents, I would say they love the Lord. They, were in, they grew up in church. They got hurt by the church. And so they, we weren't in church. And, um, and then when I got to where I could drive, I went to church because my dad baptized me in our sink when I was a kid. And, um, you know, that was all I heard about. My grandfather had, a, he died before I was born, but he had an impact on my life in that direction. Um, so I didn't grow up there. No, really. It was when I met Tammy. Um, I would say I, I knew who Jesus was. And if you ask me, I told you I loved him, but I didn't really know who he was, you know? And, um, and so Tammy is the one, when I met her, she started writing scriptures on my gear and I started realizing that, that I needed what she had and her influence made a huge difference in my life in that, in that way. I grew up in a, <clears throat> I grew up in a very uh, Roman Catholic family. Uh, as I grew older, a lot of things that I would ask questions about, the curiosity in me would would kind of leave me with answers to those questions that were sometimes maybe not what I wanted to hear. Uh, I seemed to kind of irritate people when I would do that. And uh, to your point, there's just a lot of like uh, manipulation and kind of forcefulness and it drove me away from it, you know, uh, for a long while. And uh, I think as I've grown older, 
I've been able to go back and find the good in the message and understand that it's the message and where it comes from that's really important to me, at least. Yeah, so um, so my whole message and everything you see me doing on social media, all that good stuff, is rooted in what you're talking about there. And this is what I think people fail to understand. I'm talking about the church, um, not all, not all, okay, but but on a large scale, and this is the mistake I made for a long time, was skipping over the basics. All right. And so so as an athlete, in a, in a nutshell, as an athlete over 15 years and all the things I went through before winning a national championship, this is what it boiled down to. I had skipped over the fundamentals and I had to go back and I had to start over. You know, I had to go back to being a little baby again as a ski jumper and do the baby stuff again until I mastered it because I never mastered it when I was a baby. Then once I got that back, once I got that established, I built the foundation that I could launch from. Okay. Then my dream comes true as an athlete. So what I learned was, and what I was taught through that was in every challenge I face in life, the first thing I need to do is ask why it's, it's not what we do. It's why we do it. That reveals the heart. And the why is a dig is a deeper dive, a deeper dig to the root of the problem that if you get taken care of the fruit takes care of, we don't create fruit. God creates fruit. If we take care, but we have the responsibility to take care of the roots. Those are the things we can't control. So learn that as an athlete. Now I come along, Tammy's getting me in church. I'm learning God's word and I'm looking for, okay, what is the one thing that if you get right, takes care of everything else? What's the fundamentals? Then if you get it wrong, nothing else matters. So as a ski jumper, you get this stuff wrong. It doesn't matter what you do after that. You're never, it's never going to get any better. You got to come back to it, right? But if you get this right, you can build on that. And I come across scriptures like this. Jesus speaking, and he says, you know, that all the commandments and all the law are fulfilled in one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then I come across scripture that says, if you know love, you know God. If you don't know love, you don't know God because God is love. And, and then I, then you read first Corinthians where it says, you know, you can do all of these things. You can prophesy, you can heal the, the sick, you can cast out devil, you, all these things that I will likely never do in my life. And if you have not love, you gain nothing. And so then what starts clicking in my head is, is love the fundamentals. Is it the one thing that if we get right, everything else takes care of ourselves, takes care of itself. If we skip over it, nothing else matters. And that's really what God's word was telling me. That was 15 years ago. And so I really, I set out that at that point thinking, first, I want to understand what love is. So I asked myself, what is, okay, Kenny, what's love? That's what a great coach would ask me. You know, it was like silly question, but profound one. What is love? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't really feel like I could define love. So I went on a really deep dive thinking I'd resolve it within a couple months. And 15 years later, I'm diving deeper and deeper. And it is the one thing that if you get right, everything else takes care of itself because God is love. Every decision you ever make, you have two choices, love or fear. And that is this, me without regard for you, that's fear. You without regard for me, that's love. And so love is selfless. 
And how do you live that? How do you do that? How do you apply it to everything you do in life? Because, you know, Jesus said, if you get love right, everything else is going to take care of itself. So how do, how do I live a loving life? And so I would say that I think the church, religion, so many organizations skip over the love part. And they go to all the other stuff and they're out there bickering over the fruit because they all, they all left the roots behind. And if you fight for your fruit, you destroy your roots. If you fight to be loved, you kill love in your life. But if you trust God with the fruit and you just love, the fruit will take care of itself. So that's, that's my message in and through everything. That's the fundamentals of life is love and fear. And a lot of people don't really know what love is. If I was going to define love quickly, I would say this is love. That do, it is doing what is truly best. I was, not always what someone wants. Not always what feels right. It's doing what, I, what you believe is truly best for someone else without regard for yourself. And then the feeling of love is the fruit of love. And I would sum that up by saying this. If you ask me if I love my wife, Tammy, and I'm talking about the feeling of love, I would tell you I love her with all my heart. But now knowing what love really is, I would tell you, if you want to know if I love Tammy, you need to ask her. Because me loving Tammy is me doing what's best for her without regard for me. So there's seven things love is. There's eight things love is not. These are all in 1 Corinthians 13. It's all, it's all in that book, The Right Fight, How to Live a Loving Life. And so if, but if I'm, but basically this is it. This is what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. Love is truthful. It protects others. It doesn't protect self. It protects others. And so it's selfless. And, and then and fear is this. Fear is anger. Fear is rude. Fear is envious. Fear is self-seeking. And fear fully developed delights in evil. But me living a loving life is the best possible thing I can do for myself. But if I do it for me, it's no longer love. It's me using love to get what I want because love is the why behind the what. It's not what I do. It's why I do it. And so, but, so that's why it takes surrender. It's scary when I think about that because I think about how society is formed right now. And I think about the reward systems and I fall victim to it every day, you know, just being human and being just how, how we all engage with each other. I, you know, Instagram was awesome, right? It, it connected you and I, I found your message. So I get a lot of good from it. Uh, but I know that if I really audit my behavior and I look back at how I engage in the world today, it's a lot harder today than it was 20 years ago to, I think, engage in it in a way that is loving by that definition, mm -hmm. uh, because it is such a self-serving, self-gratification culture that we're inside of right now. And so, you know, how do you, because I think you do it such a good job with it, how do you balance that today? Because you've got a successful business, and I, I want to make sure we, we get to that because it, it does bridge the gap with the whole water skiing, uh, jumping, and, and all that with uh, shield of, uh, Shields of Strength. But how do you, in a world where you're leveraging social media and we're um, doing all the things that we're doing, how do you balance that and make sure that it's applied for a positive? 
Well, I don't think it's a balancing act. All right. So I think it's all love. I think it's love or it's not. And I fail often. Okay. And you talk about the world we live in. It's there's two things going on there. It's harder to love when you aren't loved. All right. But people loving you says nothing about you. It's you loving people that says something about you. And so people get hurt and they want everyone to love them. So they'll get healed. Well, I got bad news. People loving you doesn't heal you. It's you loving people that heals you because it's when it's, and you don't have to be a full cup to love. You can be completely empty and still do what's truly best for someone else without regard for yourself. Then the love of God flows through you to them. You get well in the process. So it's not about you. And, and so when you live in a more and more selfish world, it's harder to love. So if you're, if you're loved really well, it's very easy to love. You know, it's, it's easy to do what's best for everybody when you already know they're going to do what's best for you. I mean, how easy, but it's really almost not even love because there's no sacrifice involved. I think love is the sacrifice. Love is the knowing that I may do this and get nothing. I may do this and get hurt. You know, I may do this. It may cost me my life. And Jesus said, greater love has no one in this and later on their life for their friend. So it's harder to love in a selfish environment. But it's a lot like any, anything else. The harder it is, if you love through it, the stronger love gets in your life. And if it's easy to love, then the weaker love can get in your life. And so, so the opportunity, when you live in a selfish world, a dark world, Loving gives you an opportunity to be a light in the darkness. So it's an incredible opportunity. I mean, if you're a light in the midst of a bunch of light, what difference does it make? But when you're a light in the darkness, it makes an enormous difference. It's just harder to stay lit. And, uh, and, but, you know, I don't need easy when I got Jesus. And we don't need easy when we got Jesus. And, and it's, it's not a balancing act for me. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't call it a balancing act because... It's never about, the best thing about love to me is that it's never about finding the right balance. It's always all of you without regard for me, if I'm willing to do it. Now, the, the balance becomes, when am I willing to do it? And the best thing you can ever do is love. I'm sorry, it's just the best thing you're going to say. And, and I'm not talking about enable. Love does not enable people. That's not love. That's self-love that enables it's because so I enable you because I don't want to hurt your feelings because it can make me feel bad or, or or I'll let you get away with that repeatedly because whatever you know or or and the same thing in business I mean businesses fail or prosper many times based on whether or not they're a loving organization or are they manipulative so I think that the core of success in any and everything you do fruitfulness in life is getting love right you show me a truly loving person, the person that's really patient, they're kind, they're selfless, they're, they protect others, they do these things. Man, fruitfulness is wherever you take, you take them out of whatever beautiful place they're in and move them to another place, it's just a rat hole. You leave them there long enough, it's going to start getting better. But you take somebody who's angry, they're rude, they're envious, they're prideful. Pride is not a good thing. Pride, pride is fear pretending to be strong. True strength is humble. And it's grateful. And so you take the person that is choosing to be these eight things. It doesn't matter where you put them, wherever they are, it's going to start coming undone. And so I think all of our success in life 
we don't love to be successful. We love whether we're successful or not. But the good news is success is your destiny if you live the loving life. And, uh, and it's hard stuff. It is. And so, but as a quick picture, this is what it looks like. Used to, if you respected me, I respected you and we were good. But if you didn't respect me, not only would I not respect you, I would intentionally disrespect you. But what I finally had to learn was I was giving control of my life to you. And that I was who you told me to be. You're respectful. I was respectful. You weren't respectful. I wasn't respectful. And I had to learn to lay my life down, not for me, but for you and for God and for others, because I'm loved despite not being lovable. I'm loved anyway. So my responsibility is to love. And then I'm going to respect you whether you respect me or not. And I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. And the freedom you find in that is unbelievable. So much so that for me now, I'm talking 15 years later, in the beginning, it was extremely hard. I talk about this a lot in the book. And, and many times that I was blowing it and almost really blowing it bad. And I still blow it sometimes, but it's a lot easier now for me all these years later because I know how deadly selfishness is. And I know what all it almost cost me as a father and as an as a, as a employer and a neighbor and all these things. I know how, how many times I've almost just done what I wanted to do, but instead, instead I surrendered and I did the loving thing. And then how, how great, I was like, thank you, God, for saving me from such a foolish decision, you know, and for showing me the power of love in my life. And so now it's a lot easier. I mean, really, used to, I didn't want to get run over. Now, if I see somebody about to get run over, I'm, I'm like, man, can I, let me get run over. Because when you run over me, you give me a chance to speak into your life. So if you punch me in the face, you see, I'd have been, I'd have been drawn back to punch you in the face. Now I'm going to say, man, stop, please. Look, I'll get over this. Why'd you do it? Why, why'd you do What's going on, man? Why'd you do it? If you keep punching me, I'm going to stop you from punching me, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if someone's taking advantage of you, they're running over you, what it is? You, love doesn't ever ignore that. But instead of hitting back, it says, why? Why are you doing it? And if their response is, because I want to and I always am, it's going to be, no, not, I'm sorry, I love too much. I'm not, I'm not going for it. So love, love its own boundary. You don't need boundaries. Love is its own boundary. It'll defend you long before and far better than any self-love or boundaries will ever defend you. And it sets you free, man. When you saddle yourself with defending someone, the last thing you want to be is yourself. It's a nonstop, 24-hour, seven-days-a-week job, and it just gets harder and harder. And the harder you fight, the worse it gets. Yeah, that was one of the big things that I've learned about myself you know, it, there's a, a pivotal moment, I think, in my late 20s, where I always allowed other people to control my emotions. And I, I think it was a lot of it was pride, to your point. I mean, I, I could unpack this for hours, we could have two, three podcasts talking about all of those issues. But it was a, a combination of a lot of things that just didn't allow myself to be vulnerable that got in the way so much. And I didn't have a, a clear reason or understanding as to why at the time. But I think just because I started to see that things worked out better when I just surrendered and, and allowed life to just uh, go where it was. And I, I needed to roll with the punches, so to speak. Yeah. It's been a, it's been an interesting ride. I grew up with a lot of kids in the family. I was the oldest of 12 grandkids. 
and uh, a few other great grandkids that came along while I was uh, kind of maturing out of the household. But uh, being a father was definitely a lot different than I was expecting and a lot harder, you know, it's, uh, and I give so much credit to my wife. It's an incredible job that the women do to be able to hold that down. I, I get it easy being able to go out and do all the things that I do, but I, I wanted to kind of transition over because I know, you know, speaking of our wives, you know, yours at the time in 96 was your girlfriend. And now you've, you've since married her. She wrote scripture on your equipment, which really was that pivotal point where you changed your mindset and was able to overcome that fear that then led to you taking that scripture. Was it, it was the scripture that she had written at that point that you had put on a dog tag, correct? That's right. So, so, I mean, she wrote the scriptures on my equipment. First time I'd ever seen any of the scriptures. I can do all things through Christ who turns and made probably the most known scripture in the world, but I had never heard of it. Philippians 4, 13, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God didn't give me the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. And because it was on my gear, it was there constantly. So I was always seeing it. And so that kept it in front of me. And, and it was encouraging to me. That was about it at first, right? So then I would say I went from knowing it was there and reading it to I didn't have to read anymore. I knew it. Then I went from knowing it, I would say, to believe in it. Like, you know, I, by faith, I believe this is true. And then when it really radically changed my life was when I decided to act on God's word despite my feelings. Everything I know about everything I knew in this circumstance says it's impossible, but I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to act on God's word anyway. That's really Regardless important. I, I, want, I want to stop you there because, you know, I think there's a lot of people, and I, to go back to my, my background, right, coming from the, the Roman Catholic Church, I know a lot of people who want to like pray and wait and there's, there's like no action, right? Mm -hmm. Taking action is the most important part after you identify what that goal is. And then, you know, having the faith to, you know, whether it's your, your beliefs, whatever, but you, you have to, you have to go and do something. You have to take action. And that's, I, I feel like a lot of people miss that step and it's very important and it can leave you to, you know, maybe say, Hey, this, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I prayed and nothing happened. Right. But you have to go and do the work. Yeah. So um, I think waiting is a, is a, is a very important. So like, if you don't know, if you have no idea what to do next, I think you should wait. But waiting is not just praying and sitting. I mean, waiting is praying, continuing to do wherever you are, giving all that you have. So you may not be moving to another place, making another drastic decision to do something totally different, but you still have responsibility that whatever is within your reach, every decision you make, you're striving to make loving decisions and that everything around you is becoming better because you're there while you're there and as long as you're there. So it is not just waiting in and of itself. Um, and so, yeah, you, because really I think waiting is about training. I think God's using, he wants to use the way to prepare you for something else. And if you're doing nothing, you're not getting prepared for where he wants you to go next to you. If you just sit and wait, you may never be prepared and you're just going to be waiting forever. 
that's why I love sports. It's such a great analogy, you know, whether it's, you know, water skiing or martial arts, you know, if you're, if you're a competitive fighter, you know, you may have your fight camp, but in between the guys who are at the top, the, the, the legends, the folks who are winning championships, they're perfecting their craft in between those fight camps. They're learning new skills. They're, they're just honing in and they're, they're not just sitting on the couch waiting, so to speak. And I think it translates over right to life. Yeah. That's where they're, that's where you're winning. That's exactly right. It's, it's in the preparation. You know, that's where all the difference is made. And that's where God's making a difference in your life. It's where he's changing your heart. It's where he's softening your heart. It's where he's giving you better, more understanding, more preparation, all of that. So, yeah. If, I mean, if you're sweeping floors and you think you want to go do something else and you think you're supposed to pray and wait, man, sweep the floors like no one's ever swept them until it's time to do something. Love the people around you while you're sweeping like no one's ever loved them. And, and then God uses all of that, I believe, to prepare you for the next one and to move you to the next one. I mean, God opens the doors. We usually don't have to kick them down, but he opens them as we, while we are waiting, we are loving and we're giving all we have for God and others. People use the term karma, right? I mean, isn't that what karma is? You know, you yeah. Do, in, yeah. In a way, right? You do, you live with love, you do the right thing, you, you put good out into the world, it, it's yeah. going to come back to you. You know, I think that's, I believe that wholeheartedly. It doesn't matter what you where you're at on the, on the spectrum of your beliefs, if you just do and you live the right way and you love people, uh, that's, it's going to generate positive outcomes for you. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say it's not karma. It's the fruit of love mm -hmm. and it's, it's your destiny, but don't do it for the karma and don't do it for the fruit. Do it whether you get it or not. That's what determines, is it really love or not? And so, and, and God looks on the heart. We see everything from the outside in. Fear sees life outside in. Love sees life inside out. So we got to get the we got to get our why right in a pure way. Then we empower God to come working in our life. People will call it karma. They'll call it all kinds of things, but it's really the fruit of love. And there's no stopping it. I mean, you, love never ever fails. It really does. I used to always think, you know, Bible says love never fails. I see it failing all the time everywhere. You know, these people who loved each other, they don't love each other anymore. I used to love that guy. I don't love him anymore. I don't love her. I don't love her anymore. Love never fails. We just fail to love. That's the bottom line. If, if we love, God's working in and through it always. But when we quit loving, we just took it all out of God's hands and put, them in our, put it in our own hands. And then when it doesn't work, we get mad at God. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You're sitting here saying this and maybe I have a weird way of thinking, but I'm thinking like somebody, you know, kills a family member, right? Somebody hurts somebody in your family and how hard, even knowing that and hearing you say that it would be so hard for me to forgive somebody doing such a horrible thing to somebody that you, that you care so much about. But then I also have heard stories of people who have forgiven those people who have done horrible things to their family. And those people seem to be in general, at much more peace than the people who still harbor that hate for somebody who did something horrible. And, you know, I, I'm, as you're saying that, I, I couldn't help but to kind of think about that and how there, it's just really kind of makes it a little yeah, bit more real. I have no idea how I would handle that. You know, I would hope that I could get past that. Maybe I could, man, that's so, I'm so protective of my family. I don't know, but I hope that I that I wouldn't kill love in my life. 
because of that and that um, that I would find a way to forgive. And, and I think it's important to note that love is doing what's best for the person. So, I mean, what's best for that person is not to kill anybody to begin with. And it's best for them to never, ever kill anybody ever again. And, and uh, forgiveness isn't saying what you did was okay. It's right. really saying what you did wasn't okay. And I never, ever want you to do it again. It's just saying, I'm going to strive to no longer hold it against you. That I'm done with it. Okay, you did that. You, you, you spit all over me right here. Look, man, don't worry about that. I'm gonna wipe that off. Why'd you spit on me? Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't spit on people. You know, I, I'd like to think I could do that in, in an extreme case like that. I don't know. You know, um, I sure hope so. But but that's what God calls us to do. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what Jesus you know, turned the other cheek. And I used to want to think, man, why not turn the other cheek? You know, somebody must have interpreted that the wrong way. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me at all. But I think why he's saying that is because when we don't turn the other cheek it's like someone hurts us which is like taking some of the fruit out of our life when we don't turn the other cheek we cut off the source of all the fruit in our life to get back what was taken from us it's already rotten okay so we cut love off and we become angry rude envious prideful all these things that fear is we cut off the source of what created the fruit to begin with to get back what's already dead whatever they took off you can't put it back on the tree so the people who hurt us can't heal us and we can't heal ourselves but loving heals us we keep our roots connected i don't care what you do if you keep the roots connected man you could you could strip it Day after day after day, you can annihilate the thing. You keep the roots connected. As soon as you turn your back, green leaves are going to stop popping out. And the next thing is going to be the fruit. And I think, the, I think God's trying to tell us, he's just saying, hey, look, don't cut off your roots because you lost a little fruit. Turn the other cheek. It's the wrong fight. The fight for your fruit, the fight to be loved, the fight to get even, the fight to heal yourself, that's all the wrong fight. The right fight is the fight to live with a loving life. And everything you're chasing that you'll never, ever be able to catch. If you stop chasing it, you surrender, start living a loving life, it'll chase you down. The message has resonated with a lot of people. I mean, you guys, you know, for those who don't know, I, I, was it right after 95? So you, you put the metal on and then it really just started as you were handing them out to people who you felt really needed some you know encouragement is is that correct yeah, yeah that's right i gave them to friends and, and neighbors or people i bumped into and i would just make make another one make another one make another one and they're costing me a lot making them one at a time at local gi store and uh, graven shop and so i started making them in more bulk and then they uh, my mother-in-law had a gift shop we put shoulder strength in our gift shop and then uh, one probably a year after that was 9-11 and troops started deploying and some of the soldiers had come across some of them and we got requests for them. And it was, it was like, man, we were so excited. Just the military called, we get, you know, heck yeah. So we're giving them to them, but 600 at a time, in some cases to battalions. And then other soldiers saw them wearing them and they started spreading. And then, um, I mean, 2003, one soldier's wearing them was in Iraq and um, he was killed. He was the first soldier to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery. His name was Russell Ripito. And um, President Bush at the time spoke to the nation on Memorial Day 
and told Russell's story. And then he read the, he said on the back of his dog tag, one great, these words from the book of Joshua, he read the scripture. And then, you know, all the military warned them and then all the major news networks picked it up. So that's kind of when we went from a little fledgling garage deal to, to um, doing a lot more that we did for years. And, you know, fast forward 20 something years now, um, we probably make 400 different pieces of jewelry apparel, um, anything we can with one goal to get a piece, one piece of God's word around someone's neck on the shirt somewhere often enough that it can be for them what my gear was for me, a constant reminder of God's word, that it can go from there to here to here and they'll act on God's word and it'll change their life because we know it will. So that's our mission. It's powerful, man. It's a humbling, I tell people, I mean, it wasn't, it was never planned. You know, it was, if it, was, if it had been a plan, it'd have been a good one, but it wasn't. It's just been an incredibly humbling experience um, to, to learn and to, for my children to get to witness the power of God's word in people's lives. And, you know, one of the most powerful lessons is we think, and I for sure thought that everybody, that a lot of people just hated God, but I, thousands of people, I've approached and hand them a dog tag or we've, or soldiers, you know, speaking to thousands of them at a time and watch them line up ever. I've never seen anybody reject an opportunity to have a piece of God's word. They're always so grateful. Many times with tears in their eyes, I think people just don't really know the truth. Well, and I think it goes back to that religion word. You know, I think, I think a lot of people believe in God. I think a lot of people believe in a higher power. I have conversations like this all the time because I, I'm very outspoken with that. I've seen both sides of it. I've seen the manipulation and the, the, the guilt and the kind of the, what, what I would, anything but love, you know, things that don't come across like love whatsoever. Um, I've seen that and I've, I grew to resent that a lot. And I've had a lot of conversations with people just about that. Um, I have, uh, I have some close family members who are still very religious and we kind of butt heads a little bit on these topics. And uh, I think, to your point, there's a lot of people who, if you if you took that framework away from it, the rigidity of religion, and you just kind of reduce it down to love, that resonates with almost everybody. But that said, everyone on the face of this planet is created to love and to be loved. And so, yes, we know love when we see it. I mean, unless you're just, I mean, you, if you're like, you'd have to be really, really messed up. And some people are, unfortunately, to see someone making a tremendous sacrifice for someone else, risking their life to save someone else, whatever it was. I mean, these things go viral all the time. But the bottom line is, it's because someone is really loving someone else. It's going to cost them to have nothing to gain. They have everything to lose, but they, but they go anyway for someone else. And we all get chill bumps on our arm, and we all, we all know that is right. So, yes, love does resonate with everyone. Love is just not everything everybody thinks it is. That's the, that's the, the problem with I, one of the things that just is, I don't know how to say it, but it just, it, it, it eats my lunch all the time is everybody calls everything love and everything is not love. Love is sacrifice and it's doing what's truly best for you without regard for me. It's, it's not helping you do anything 
that's not really best for you. And sometimes that means hurting you, not physically. But sometimes that, re my goal is never to hurt you. But sometimes I know you may be hurt. And so if, if I'm so worried about hurting you, then I won't love you. I, I mean, I'll just, I'll do what I think is best for me and I won't tell you the truth. That's not love. I'm losing my, uh, my phone's lame. No worries. So I, I did want to ask you, you know, you've written two books now. Uh -huh. Obviously you've got a powerful message. You've, you got a great way of, of delivering that background in writing. Like, how do you, how does that come about? How does that come about, man? Cause that can't be easy. I writing a book is that seems like a heck of a job. So, uh, no, actually, um, I took two senior years to get out of high school because I couldn't write. I really didn't, didn't pass my senior research paper my second time. My single English teacher just didn't want me back the third, the three years in a row. Thank God. But, um, so I can hardly write my name, but, uh, so I'm, I, I often say I'm not an author. I just wrote a book because it's the only way I knew how to communicate the most important truths I ever learned in my life. And, and I wanted to get it down on paper in case something happened to me. So who would ever teach my children? Um, so now the first, first book I wrote children's strength was just a true story behind children's strength. That wasn't too hard to write, you know, it's it real life experiences. And, um, I originally wrote that as a letter to a soldier and it ended up becoming a book. And then, uh, then the right fight, I spent seven years. And I mean, that's how bad of a writer I am. It took me seven years to get it done. But, um, but I just really originally wrote it all down for my children. Just like I said, I just thought, man, nobody's going to teach them what love really is. And it's so powerful. It's changed my life so much. It's so much easier. It's so, it set me so free. It leads me to the answer to every question I ever have in this life. I mean, it's just so vital. I mean, it, I, I don't want them to not have it. So I wrote it down as much as I could for them. And then uh, I had a few people I shared it with, and they're like, man, you should do some more with this. And so then I decided to try to make it a book, and I spent seven years on it before I finally got it done. So no, not, not too great of a writer. Um, but I just tried to write like I talk. That's the only thing I knew to do. And then I got some help, my wife's grammar, all that stuff. She's great at it. So um, she, she helped me a lot with that. Did you learn a lot about yourself while you were writing that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I learned. Yeah, I definitely did. But a lot of the major lights had come on before I started writing it down. And so that all started with me just starting to try to teach me trying to learn it, digging deeper, and then me trying to teach uh, my daughter's youth class on Sunday mornings. Uh, I taught that for a while, and we started learning together. I mean, those kids were teaching me. I was teaching them, and they were teaching me. And, um, and then, yeah, I started learning a whole lot about myself. You know, I think we know ourselves pretty well. We just don't want to ask. You know, we don't want to really – face it, dig deeper. But when I started asking why it's behind what, um, you know, I knew the answer immediately. I didn't usually do a lot of digging. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you just hit a nerve with me. I, there's a lot of things that I spent a lot of years not thinking I had answers to, but realizing at some point that I never really went looking for them. I never really asked myself, you know, and when I did, I was surprised that I didn't have to look very far. It's like, I'd start just kind of probing on an idea of something. 
And I was like, man, I've never really thought about that. And every single time I was, I was able to find the root cause for the most part. So that's right. The truth is rarely hard to find. It's just hard to look for it. <laughs> you know, because you, I mean, it don't matter. I don't care what the truth is. I know how you made me feel, and this is what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't care why you did what you did. This is how you made me feel. But, but you don't find the truth there. And if you get, you know, if you got two people doing that, two people are fighting over lies. You know what I mean? No one's even really revealing what's really going on. So, yeah, it's not hard to find if you're willing to look for it and it can be hard to look for. So I would say a, a weak heart, if you're talking about muscles on our bodies, hard muscles, a strong muscle, but if you're talking about the heart, a hard heart is a weak heart and a soft heart is a strong heart. And so you, you have to, if you want to be strong, you have to soften your heart and you're going to have to ask why, and you're going to have to check yourself and look for the truth and you're going to find it. And then it's going to be ugly, by the way. You're not going to like it. It's not going to be lovable. Nothing about it's going to be lovable. It's going to be filthy. But when you really learn who Jesus is and you really know who you are because you had the courage to, to look, and then you realize he really does love you. He really did lay his life down for you, not because of who you are, but despite who you are. Then you know you're loved and you know what love is and you want to love. When, when, you, when you accept him into your life, he softens your heart and then you want to live a loving life. But sometimes you still don't really know how to get it done. And so I spent a lot of time learning how to get it done, learning from mistakes. And um, that's why I wrote the book, you know, try to share those truths with other people. I mean, I, I think if someone reads that book and really understands what I'm saying, they don't ever need to hear from me again. I mean, that's, I mean, like, I don't have anything. I mean, they, they, they can lead, God will lead them to all truth. I'm not God. It's all, every bit of it's Jesus. And it's not even my truths. It's just truth that I found that has always been and will always be. And, um, and so, but lights will come on that from there, you can find your own way. You know, not without him, but with him, you can find your own way. It's a powerful thing, man. I appreciate you taking some time tonight. Oh, thank you very much for for allowing me to. I can I, I, I can do some talking. Oh man, it was fun. What else do you have on the horizon? Anything else uh, you got in the works at the moment, or is it just really continuing to take this message and, and get it out there wide and far? Yeah, you know, I, I've never had a great plan, <laughs> and I still don't have a great one, except that, like you said, while we're waiting, um, we're doing everything is unto the Lord, and um, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. every piece of jewelry we make is, is as excellent as we can possibly make it, because of what we believe it stands for, and so um, we have a higher calling that, that we're tempting to fulfill of course i have all kinds of hopes and dreams and desires but but um but we're just going to keep on going see where god takes us next and then unfortunately we are um we're in the middle of a battle right now with the department of defense they're trying to make us uh stop putting the scriptures on the dog tags for the military so um that, that started about two years ago and it's starting to heat up now so we're, we're going to be engaging in that to, to try to keep that alive but um but the mission's going well you know it continues to grow we got our first 
actual showroom here in Beaumont now with the new place. We're still on all the military exchanges. Our stuff's growing online. Excuse me, the, the line's growing. So see where God takes us next. Is there anything that uh, anyone listening can do to help support that cause? I mean, that sounds a little ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't even know how to tell you how ridiculous it is, but um, pray for us, you know, and um, and then if you have an opportunity, uh, be vocal. You know, I mean, if, I mean, you don't have to go running out looking for them, but I think opportunities present themselves to us. To us. Um, it, it'll probably be uh, in the media before long, I think. Um, and um, so I hope people will stand with us. I think um, I think we're in a good place. I mean, um, I think we've got a good opportunity. And uh, a lot of the leaders in our military now are familiar with us, and they've seen the difference God's words made and for their own troops. So I'm hoping that'll help us. But uh, just pray for us. We, we, uh, we like a good fight as long as we're, we know we're in the right one. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll certainly follow along. Is this something that's popped up recently, or is, has this been a battle that you've been fighting for a while now? Uh, no, it's recent. So, I mean, really, the, the military so embraced us. You know, when that when Shelter Street first came along, the president mentioned them and speak to the nation. I was invited to speak at the Pentagon twice. I've sat down with Secretary of Defense, with other military leaders. I've spoken to most of the military units across the country. Um, I never once asked them that. You know, all of that was because they reached out to us. So they really embraced us. And and, it, and the difference it made was really very humbling. But no, there was a, a, a anti-God. I don't know if the guy's an atheist. I'm not sure what he is. But he filed a complaint about a year and a half ago uh, saying we shouldn't be able to uh, force. You know, no one has to wear these things, by the way. This is totally only up to them. But um but that it was a violation of the First Amendment, which I, which actually I think the First Amendment is the freedom of religion, and um, and so, and none of this is being forced on anyone. So yes, yeah, about a year and a half old. Um, I mean, we're really blessed that a, a organization called First Liberty Institute is um, a, a First Amendment law firm, and they and they work for free, you know, pro bono. They're donor supported. And they heard about us and they took up our case. Other than that, you know, we would have really been hopeless. Um, we don't have the funds to fight Department of Defense. But, uh, but, um, but so they've, they've stepped alongside us. And um, I hope they're going to do the hope, Hopefully the Department of Defense will do the right thing. You know, if they don't, then um, we're going to fight for it. Yeah, I can't imagine what you could possibly say. I mean, you're not forcing anybody to wear that. So, I mean, I get it, right? If if you're if you don't want that on there, you shouldn't have to have it. But if it's truly optional, you're asking people to put their lives on the line, sacrifice themselves for the country. And if wearing something like that gives them the solace and the hope to be able to go over there and, and do such an amazingly difficult job, I, I mean, I... <laughs> No, I know. Like, I don't even know what to say because that's exactly what it is. And, 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 and they're all fully aware of it. I mean, all these people encouraged us to do more and more and more and more. I mean, we used to give probably 1500 dog tags a month to the Pentagon because all, everybody up there wanted them. They went through the chaplain's office. Um, yeah, it's, it's shocking, but, um, but that's okay, man. You know, that's, we didn't, we're going to love our military where they love us or not. and we love our military. It's just some of their leaders are afraid. That's the bottom line. And, uh, and so we're going to, uh, we, because we love them, we're going to fight for them. We're not going to fight our military. We're fighting for our military. 
and uh, we're not going anywhere if we can help it. Well, hey man, if there's anything we can do, let us know. I love to yeah. love to be vocal on that. That's uh, it's definitely something I would stand up for. So, yeah, I Washington. appreciate it. Okay, yeah, no, we'll do. I, I appreciate the time again, <laughs> and um, everybody can go to uh, shieldsofstrength.com, right? And that they can yeah. find everything. The books are both there, all the jewelry, your story. Um, and then on social media, you're at, uh, John Kennedy Vaughn, correct? Yes, sir. TikTok and Instagram. Awesome. Kenny. Thank you. Really. Thank you. Very, God bless you and your family. And congratulations on the new one. Hey, thank you, my friend. And good luck with everything yeah. in front of you. Love babies and love your wife. All right. That's an order soldier. <laughs> thanks sir all right good night good night